Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on a Wednesday. I'm Dan Lobby. I'm joined right now by Mary Kay Cabot and Lance Risland. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, we are going all things Ken Dorsey today on this podcast. So Lance is going to tell us a little bit about the film that he's watched on Ken Dorsey, what he's seen, how it fits the Browns, all of that stuff. And then in the second half of the podcast, uh, a familiar name to some of our longtime listeners, Matt Perino, who covers the bills for Syracuse.com, our sister site. Uh, he's going to join us to tell us all about what happened with Ken Dorsey, some of what he's seen from Ken Dorsey. Ken as a play caller, he even throws out a receiver name to maybe keep an eye on a guy that absolutely loved playing for Dorsey. So uh, check that out in the second half of the podcast. Matt's great. Uh, and he's been on this pod before. Like I said, though, starting us off, Lance Reisland is back. Lance, it's been a couple weeks. Damn it. Okay. Good to see you. How you guys doing? How you uh, doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Good to be back. All right. So Lance, knowing that you've been pouring over this Ken Dorsey film and just really hunkering down uh, into the into the weeds with this stuff here, what is your number one takeaway when you think about this hire of Ken Dorsey? Well, my number one takeaway is that it's very similar. His philosophy is very similar to Kevin Stefanski in terms of, you know, when you talk about scheme, run game is about vertical displacement or horizontal displacement. And there's some different schemes, but it's really, are you a physical team trying to knock them backwards or go sideways? And Dorsey, what he, what's, what, what he does in the pass game and the run game is very similar to Kevin. And so what I see is that they, they're happy with what their scheme is and they're just going to try to improve it. You know, myself, when I think about hiring a new coach, I always wanted a guy to come in and give me new ideas and new, you know, lots of guys who know different stuff. You think about the McVeighs and the, the Shanahan's and the Mike McDaniels, the motions and things like that. That's not what Ken Dorsey is. He's very good at what he does. He's a very, but his best success comes from two tight end sets or three tight end sets or 22 personnel. So very similar to what Kevin does. His success in 2022, his best success came out of uh, either 22 or 12 personnel. So, so that's interesting to me, Lance, because, um, you know, I, when I talked to Matt earlier today, he was talking about with Brian Dable and we were talking about personnel packages, Buffalo kind of went, you know, they were running like 10 personnel, like they were going empty backfield spread under Dable. So it sounds like when Dorsey comes in and maybe that this is partially personnel, right? They, they've drafted some tight ends. When Dorsey came in, they maybe leaned a little more towards the heavier stuff. Well, you know, it's very similar. And when I say the, the tight end stuff, I'm, I'm, still, I'm talking about Kevin in terms of, like, they get an empty. You know, they go 22 personnel, but their fullback has tight end responsibility. So you can call it 22 or 12 or whatever you want. Uh, but it's basically – or 13. But it's basically a back, three big guys, and a receiver. And they do a lot of that. But they also get into empty out of that. They get into three by one out of that. They do some really interesting stuff. He's a very structured guy like Stefanski. He's very, he wants to have balance. He wants to have a nasty run game. Uh, he wants to play action and take shots. Uh, when you watch that tw- 22 film, they're really good. They're top five in yards. They're top five in, in, in just about everything, top 10. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, the question I've been asked is why he's not there. Well, there's got to be a fall guy when things aren't going well. And they're too talented to be five and five when he was let go. But they are they a lot of the similarities, a couple different run schemes, but really similar in terms of how they're going to operate. Um, which tells me, in my opinion, I think Stefanski might give up play calling because this he can help with this because this is his stuff. One of the things that, you know, when you when you talk about um, the motion and things of that nature, um, I was just on um, Ultimate Cleveland. I mean, I was just on Sports for Clee, our show, and um, they cited a statistic about the the pre-snap motion where San Francisco is like first at 70% in the league 
Kansas City second at 60.5. Browns second last in the NFL, which I would not have thought that. I would not mm-hmm. have thought it to that degree. And so what you're saying to me is, you know, I, I kind of assumed that, um, you know, that Ken was going to be, be, you know, be bringing in some really new concepts and some different, like really different things. But you're saying no, that it's going to be more of the same. They just want to get better at it. Yeah, that's what I see, you know, and obviously they're going to come in when those two, he's really good at what he does. So the, when you have those two minds together, I think they're outstanding play designers, especially red zone. So they're going to put their minds together uh, in the red zone and a third down conversion. But this, these guys are really good at situational stuff, right? So red zone, third down uh, efficiencies, things like that. So no, I don't see a ton. Uh, In 22, they were lower third. They were lower third uh, before he got um, fired this year. So he has, he's never been a motion guy. And if you look at, Kevin's motion, it's basically the tag motion, which I said, it's just telling the quarterback if it's man or if it's zone. And when they do those return motions or those real slow motions, or they're trying to condense a formation, the new McVay, Shanahan, they're trying to create space. They're trying to create eye candy. They're trying to create, um, you know, eye conflict with the second level. So there's not, that's not what Dorsey has done to this point. Um, what I do like is that now you have two guys, it tells me that they believe in what they're doing and they're going to try to improve. And they brought in a guy who I think, um, you know, there's going to be some wrinkles, but there's only so many wrinkles in football, right? There's only high lows, in and outs, uh, power run game. There's only so many schemes, you know. So I just think they're going to, I think they're going to strengthen, but I don't think you're going to see a schematic change, uh, address, uh, drastic schematic change at all, uh, in my opinion. So let, let me kind of follow up a little bit on the motion question because, um, you know, I was a little surprised by that too, and. You know, again, when I talked to Matt earlier, he mentioned there wasn't there was more motion when Joe Brady took over. And Lance, that's something we've talked about a lot on this pod as we were scouting teams, looking ahead to matchups is how some of these coordinators use motion and how it's, you know, it's almost kind of motion with a purpose. Right. It's not just motion to move guys. It's motion with a purpose. And I think that would be one criticism I would have is, you know, motion has. There's two things that have sort of swept the NFL in recent years, right? Like heavy use of play action and heavy use of motion. So I guess just explain what effective motion can do for an offense. Well, in the, in the run game, it's going to give you extra hats. So so you can create uh, eye conflict with the second level where there, it has nothing to do with just trying to get those linebackers' attention. And I used to call that ghost motion where you're not doing anything. It's just the receiver trying to take the eyes at the second level. But then what they do with this, if you watch the San Francisco 49ers with uh, Kittle and these guys, they're creating extra hats to the side they're running the ball. So they're creating extra hats. They're getting motion. Um, they're creating this spacing. And then in the, in the pass game, they're creating these great space, right? So pace and space. They're creating these great angles to throw the football. They're going not only horizontal, but vertically. So they're giving the quarterback a great window. And with these motions and the things they do, it makes defense become very basic in what they do coverage wise. So the quarterbacks are getting a really, really clear picture of what they're seeing. It's really hard to disguise coverage when you have fast motion. You have to be simple because it's just tough. So, you know, some people motion in motion. These new guys, these McVeighs, they're motioning to create an advantage either in the pass game or run game with extra hats, with extra, you know. But, the, you know, the side note is that Stefanski is probably the best in the NFL of getting personnel where he wants it. So there's a give and a take um, with the with the motion. You know, he gets people in three strong. He creates fantastic matchups better than I've seen in most teams. So there's a give and a take. I think he could add more motion. I just think it would help. Uh, Deshaun see the field better and see the picture better from a personnel standpoint uh, you know once again when you're talking 
11 personnel, 12 personnel, you know, really what, what are you seeing different there? I mean, are, are you going to see more three wides? Are you going to see more four wides? If he actually has, uh, you know, more influence over the offensive schematically than, you know, AVP did. Well, I think if it, if they, you know, the receiver situation for me, uh, I think, Mary Kay, you've talked about it for years. I still think that's a, a position in flux, right? They're not really sure what they have. Um, is Elijah Moore the guy they're looking for in the slot and RPOs and things like that? I don't think he'd be Debo Samuel. He's just not big enough to carry that load, but I think he can do some things in the slot. Obviously, I have Amara Cooper. You guys have talked about the money situation. T. Higgins would be uh, Pittman. There's some guys they have to get, but the one thing they do have is they have good tight end play and they have good tight end concepts. So, him coming in, if you think about, like, the other thing that kind of sold it for me is Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese is a Notre Dame guy. Tommy Reese is a Brian Kelly guy. Brian Kelly's a pro-style multiple tight end guy. So that's what he knows. That's what he runs, too. So they're going to – I think they're going to do a lot of this trying to create matchups uh, with what they do. And there's been a lot of success. If you look at what Dorsey did in 22, if you go back to what, like, Stefanski, I thought in 20, I thought his red zone stuff was the best I've seen in 10 years. So they're going to kind of combine these things. But I don't think they're going to change and say, you know, we have to go – we have to do what San Francisco's doing or the Dolphins are doing. They're going to do what they do. So I, I see them being in, in multiple tight end sets, but using Njoku and, and Bryant and, and maybe somebody else, a, a bigger guy like Tillman, to, to do those things, set the edge on the pin and pull, but uh, still be able to get out on route. So, uh, no, I think they're going to they're gonna be in this 12, this 13, um, and, and they're going to, you know, they'll, have, they'll splash some 11 in there and they'll get some 10, but they don't have the personnel to be in 10 right now, in my opinion. They got to they gotta, uh, uh, attack that receiver position. Um, if they want to be in more 10 personnel. So as a play caller, as, as you've watched through some of these games, what, just what did you think of how he called a game? It, it, did you get a good sense of that? Well, the thing that that's made me sell, sold me on uh, Stefanski really liking him. All right. So he's a, the thing that uh, everybody's asked me about, well, he's really good. You know, he, he was Cam Newton's uh, coach in 2015 as the MVP. He was, you know, uh, Allen was in 2022 was third in the MVP, but those are different quarterbacks. Those are big fullback type guys. I don't think Deshaun Watson wants to, or can take that pounding. They're running true quarterback power and ISO and they're doing things where they're getting hit. And I don't think they want Deshaun Watson. They've already been through that. So I don't think they're going to do that, but what he is offensively, which is going to be interesting and that you, all of us have talked about his offense is not based on uh, improvising. It's a very structured, balanced run pass, um, you know, we want to have equal run to pass. We want to take shots on first down. We want to spread the field occasionally and empty. We want to get in big personnel and get an empty and, and create a matchup with three strong, maybe with Cooper and your corners are covering fullbacks and tight ends, things like that. But they're very organized and very structured. And that's kind of what hurt Allen a little bit, I think, this year, is that Allen, like Deshaun Watson, very he loves to improvise. He loves to hold the ball and make plays. That's not what his this offense is about. This is a rhythm, balanced offense that throws things on time. So Again, just like you guys were talking about last year with Deshaun, this is going to be uh, – they have to figure this out. You saw what happened when a guy comes in. Uh, Flacco was great, but the reason Flacco was great, in my opinion, as a coach, is that scheme fits him. The scheme is – that's why Deshaun Watson struggled because the scheme is kind of a stretch right now. So that's why – they're very organized, very rhythmic, but it's all it, – there's not a lot of – there's not a lot of um, – you know, you're going to do this, improvise. So they have to learn how to improvise and work with Deshaun uh, on what they're going to do that way. Lance, I uh, I did a story. I don't know if you had, had a chance to take a, a peek at it or not, but I kind of analyzed a little bit Deshaun Watson uh, saying on his own podcast that he does not like the scripted plays. So I did go back and I looked at uh, the scripted plays and what happened for him in his six starts 
versus kind of what happened with Joe Flacco in his five starts. And, you know, the bottom line uh, for Deshaun was, as you recall, he did throw a pick six on two of his first drives in his six starts. So that's, you know, 33% of the time, Uh, one on the first play, one on the second play. Uh, He only put a touchdown on the board in one of his six starts on the opening drive. With Joe Flacco, we all remember every time we looked up, he was putting a touchdown on the board on the opening drive. So he put one on the board four out of five times in his five starts, 80%. Deshaun, one out of six, 16%. So the question is, we all know, the scripted plays have, have go back to Paul Brown, okay? They go all the way back to Paul Brown. We know it's been since the dawn of football. So, you know, what can you make of... Deshaun not loving the scripted place. And I've been saying, hey, if that's how you really, truly feel, then you you have to hash that out in a room with, with your coaches because you need to, to either gain an understanding of what and why this has to happen like this or you guys have to tweak something. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I was always, I always did 12 plays. And the reason I think it's hard for Deshaun is that that 12 plays is based on the film. So those guys are watching hours and hours and hours of film, right? So when they when they get anything, they're saying, this is what they, this is the advantage we have in this formation, on this down additions, on, on down a distance, on this hash or in the red zone or wherever it may be. Um, what are the matchups they like? Where Who are they going to attack? Do they get the looks that they worked on all week? Do they get those looks? So you those first 12 plays, 10, 12 plays, you see a lot of different formations. You see a lot of really good things. That's why I think Stefanski's had such a, a, a success with that is because it's very much in his wheelhouse, right? Structured, organized. He knows what he's going to see. He he knows exactly where the ball should go, where it should, and that's what Flacco did very well. Now, with, with what they have to figure out in your argument, which I agree, they have to figure out, all right, how do we take Deshaun and say, listen, we need to see what they give us in, in two by two. We need to see what they give us in empty. We need to see if we need to help on this guy or the three technique or the five technique, or does this guy blitz in this formation? They need to see those things as play callers. So that that balance comes from the weekend, but I think it really comes down to maybe having um, Deshaun help with the script. You know, I think that's the best way that, you know, when I had a quarterback like Deshaun when I was coaching, I was trying to involve him and say, all right, what do you like? All right, what do you like? And then I would say, all right, this is – so in ace, you like this, let's run this. So I still think they need to marry because Kevin only knows what he knows. All coaches, we only know what we know. So he has to stay in that realm or on that railroad track. So I just think that Deshaun's got to be more involved with what they're doing, uh, you know, from the minute they start until they get to that game plan and maybe work on that game plan all week. You know, some coaches – I used to put my script in on Sunday and we'd run that script Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Everybody does it a little bit differently, but those those plays have to be they have to be awesome for the coach and awesome for the player, and that's that's how you get that script to work, in my opinion. Celine, something you said earlier um, about sort of how Kevin and, and Ken see the game, um, and I just I almost wonder if this is why it ended up. I, I hate to say it didn't work with Josh Allen because Josh Allen really blossomed with Ken Dorsey and uh, has credited Ken Dorsey with, with becoming the quarterback he is. But if it's sort of the, the string ran out a little bit because Josh Allen is not a quarterback who plays by the rules, right? Like he's, he's got to create, he's got to move. He's not gonna, he's not gonna go, uh, you know, read one, read two, read three. He's that's just not the quarterback he is. And I don't think Deshaun is that quarterback either. So is there, 
could we see some conflict there, I guess, in sort of how Deshaun plays versus maybe what Kevin and Ken would want him to do? Well, you know, it's like it, it would be hard for either of them to kind of not do what they do because that's why they're in those positions, right? So Tavansky is a great play designer, in my opinion. He's a great uh, – those script plays are great for him. Where Deshaun is a great – his number one trait when he got here and I wrote about was his ability to make a play last and make a huge play. So that's really hard in, uh, in philosophy there. However, a great quarterback can make anything work. A great quarterback, and I think it just comes down to him. You know, you saw it a little bit before he got hurt. He'll adjust to what Kevin does, and Kevin will adjust. He's just got to stay healthy, continue to get those reps, continue to work with those receivers because he really – it's always like a chunk, right? So he's a chunk, and then he gets hurt, and chunk, and this happens. And and there's just been a lot of stuff that kind of um, doesn't allow that to happen. And when you are um, trying to mesh a philosophy, it takes time. And, you know, the question I was asked is like, how come Flacco got it so fast? Well, those philosophies meshed right away. Those philosophies, uh, there is no improvise. It's on track. It's one, two, three balls out. And that's that's good. But if you look at the the guys who are playing, you know, at, at these late weekends, the guys that can improvise a little bit. So there's got to be some there's got to be some marrying of what they do. And, and I just think it comes down to reps and, and talking to each other consistently on what do you like? against what coverage, and really it comes down to, and they started to get better at this, especially Flacco is, and Deshaun did it too before he got hurt, it's players over play. So it's got to be Cooper. It's got to be Najoku. It's got to be Chubb. The best guy's got to touch it all the time. And when you're in a system offense like Kevin is, sometimes they throw a flat route to a guy who shouldn't touch the ball. If you have 63, 73 snaps, your best guys have to touch it. And that, me and you have talked about with Cooper Cup and these guys. The best guy's got to touch it. So however you got to work that in your system to get those guys to touch it, that's how it has to that, – that's for every level. The best guys win. How are you finding Ken to be in terms of aggressiveness on fourth down and, and some of those things? You know, some of the things that Kevin has gotten criticized for, uh, you know, even in, you know, this past year and, and previous years, uh, how do you find Ken to handle some of those types of situations and game and clock management at the end of halves and games and things like that? Well, I think he's very good. You know, he's 38 and two at Miami, uh, Miami, and everybody always says he was a coach there and, and when he was playing. So he's very cerebral in terms of how he handles the game. He sees it all, and you could tell that he sees it all. So when I think about how he is on third down, he's going to be a guy that relies uh, probably an analytics guy, if I had to guess, uh, more than anything else because he's a system guy, right? So he has watched enough film where he's going to say, on third and one on the 30 yard line, I'm assuming we're going to see this, and I have an answer for that. Because that's how those play callers do it. Those guys who are like, this is what I'm going to see because I've watched the film. What they have to do is they have to adjust when they don't see that because defenses make adjustments too. But, the, you know, I think he's super creative in the red zone. Uh, and and I, like I said, I think Stefanski's super creative in the red zone. So I think they're going to have a good match there. But what they both do in the red zone is they get simple and they get it to their best guys. As we're sometimes in the field, guys don't touch it. You know, Diggs, Diggs has gone multiple games that I've watched where he's gone almost three quarters without a touch. That can't happen. Cooper needs to touch it. Najoku needs to touch it. Uh, Chubb, whoever they got, whoever their guys are, more, whoever their guy, whoever they think their guys are, those guys got to touch it. I don't care where you put them. I don't care where they line up. Uh, they have to touch it. And when people say they're taken out of the thing, well, if you look at the best coordinators in, in, in the NFL, in the uh, college, in high school, the best guys always touch it. So they got to they gotta make sure that happens. All right. Anything else, Mary Kay? No, I think that's great. Um, it, it's wonderful to, to hear your thoughts, Lance, knowing that you are uh, 
you know, in, in a dark room watching this film for hours and hours and hours. Uh, so very, very cool. And we really, really appreciate your knowledge and input. Well, I appreciate you having me anytime. Thank you so much. All right. That is Lance Reisland. Uh, stick around after the break. You're going to hear from Matt Perino. He actually covered Ken Dorsey and he was around when Ken Dorsey got fired. He'll tell us all about what happened there and all about what Ken Dorsey brings to the Cleveland Browns. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We will now welcome on from our sister site, Syracuse, covers the Bills, also the host of the Shout podcast, Matt Perino. You've heard his voice on here before. Matt, how are you? I'm good, Dan. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, no problem. We you know, we were just talking before we came on. It's It's been sort of a rough run for the Lake Erie teams uh, in these playoffs. <laughs> teams not going quite as far as they wanted to go. Um, we were saying that would have been great to have a Browns-Bills AFC title game. Obviously, it was not meant to be. But uh, I am curious, what has the reaction been like in Buffalo kind of since things ended there? It's just kind of felt like um, everybody's kind of entered this huge void, right? Because it's like they've been here before the last couple of years. Like the AFC title game was like the start of it, like reaching like at the start of expectations. And then the 13-second game where it was like – oh my gosh, how did that happen? Like the heartbreak and like dealing with that over the course of the week. And then there was the Cincy game, which was just an absolute no show. And then this game was like, you know, they probably did enough to win. If they, if Josh Allen, you know, drives down and scores that touchdown late, who knows what ends up happening. Um, so I think it's just like a lot of people with, with without a lot of answers right now, because it's like Sean McDermott's going to be back. This offense with Joe Brady over the last eight weeks was, was really good. That's going to be back. Um, you know, they're going to have to draft. They have, t- I think, t- 10 draft picks with the uh, comp pick that's coming. So what's going to be different next year that gets them over the hump? And that over the hump conversation is one that I don't feel like people are ready yet to have because it's like the heartbreak of another season, like ending at the spot that it's ended the last couple of years is just like, all right, let's bury it here. And we'll maybe we'll, we'll start talking about it around the combine. <laughs> Yeah, perfect. All right. So let's get into uh, Ken Dorsey here. Um, And I think for most Browns fans, the first question is, what happened in Buffalo? And I know that the word scapegoat was kind of getting thrown around after that move got made after that Denver loss. Um, Obviously, it's been a little while now since that move. But I guess take me back to when it happened, kind of your first thoughts and kind of what you think happened with Ken Dorsey. Yeah, so the Bills were, at the time, I remember Mike Sando from The Athletic had put out a story, like, basically highlighting how good the Bills' offense had been, even though the fact that, you know, in Buffalo, like, there was a lot of pressure, and even nationally, like, okay, what's going on? Josh Allen looks different. Like, that's one of the big things that changed this year from last year is that he wasn't running as much. And when they actually moved on from Ken, that's when they started to go back to that. So maybe had they done that, this would have never occurred. Um, But that was kind of like an organizational instruction. It's like, all right, Josh Allen's getting older. We don't want to run him as much. Um, It's almost like a break glass in case of emergency situation. Um, And they were sitting there at six and six and they had lost to the Denver Broncos. And it felt like the season was slipping away and they had to do something. And the big thing for Sean McDermott that he mentioned was energy. Like he wanted to energize the offense. It was a unit that was lacking. He didn't say this, but like inspiration, right? And and that's not really Ken Dorsey, right? Like he's very methodical. He's very, like we've seen the clip of him, right? Like uh, from his first season when he's like losing it in the coach's box, he's very competitive, but 
week to week, day to day, he's much more measured. He's much more analytical in the way that he not only thinks about the game, but how he operates with his offense. So I think it was just maybe a a personality change and it's different for every offense. Like I think that he actually is very much in line with who I perceive Kevin Stefanski to be. Like, I feel like their messaging might be a little bit more aligned where I think, as I think Sean's a little bit more fiery, like maybe a little bit more like, you know, roll your sleeves up and get in the the mud a little bit with guys. And that's definitely what Brian Dable was. And Josh Allen really was good in that environment. And I just wonder if as good as the offense was and the fact that it was the, it made a lot of sense to go from Dable to Dorsey, who, basically learned his scheme over three years and was going to keep it in his tenure as offensive coordinator. It made a lot of sense. People forget this. He was a first time play caller and it's not always going to be perfect. There's going to be some things that you learn about along the way. And Joe Brady, whose first opportunity came in Carolina a couple of years ago and only lasted a year and a half before he was fired. Um, he talked about how much he needed that experience to have the kind of success he did in his second stint. So if you're a Browns fan, I think that's what you're excited about. It's like, okay, he's going to take everything that didn't go well, learn and apply it to this next, you know, iteration. And, and this gets to be his own deal, right? Like this gets to be something where he's not taking Dable's system. He can bring what's now his system somewhere else and kind of collaborate. Yeah, it was interesting what, what you said there, how how you perceive him to be a guy that might fit in with Kevin Stefanski, because as you're describing him, that sounds a lot like Kevin Stefanski, you know, very thoughtful, not a real like emotional guy. We've all seen, you know, Kevin ice in his veins on the sidelines. So that that's kind of an interesting fit. Now, obviously, Browns fans have been passing around some graphics and some stats that show that maybe the Bills offense wasn't better under Joe Brady than it was under Ken Dorsey. Um, eyeball test. How different didn't look, did it look after Ken Dorsey left? It was different. Like they, I think a lot part of the move too was Sean McDermott wanted the identity that he had set forth for the team. They wanted to run the ball more. And if you go back to that Dallas game, when Josh Allen threw 13 passes for under a hundred yards, the first under hundred yard game since his rookie year, you know, the, the run game did get going. And I, I think in year two of their under offensive court, uh, offensive line coach, um, Aaron Cromer, that offensive line really settled in as a run blocking unit much more. They were much more uh, athletic. They got them out, uh, you know, a lot of pin and pull stuff. uh, And that was kind of a signature of their offense. And it kind of took off under Joe Brady. Um, And and they did a lot more stuff around the line of scrimmage. So like um, a lot of bubble screens that I feel like just didn't really work. But I, I think that the idea was let's be patient. Let's take three yard gains and then you know, move the ball down the field methodically and and we're going to convert in the red zone. And for the most part, you know, on the heater that they were on at the end of the season, that was working and they were playing complimentary football. The defense right after the Eagles game, which was the second game for Brady, uh, they beat the Jets, then they lost to the Eagles. I felt like the defense had a three-game stretch there where it was about as good as they played all season. That was without Matt Milano, without Tredavious White. So there was a lot of complimentary football happening. Uh, but I think you can make the argument that, you know, the deep ball like was lost a little bit with Brady than it was with, with uh, Ken Dorsey. And that's something that potentially he can help to unlock with Deshaun Watson. Yeah. And again, that's another interesting point because the Browns love to hunt kind of those explosive plays. And we saw that when Joe Flacco was here, it wasn't about completion percentage and it was just 
look for explosives. That that's what Kevin Stefanski and, and this this coaching staff wants. So, what does a Ken Dorsey offense look like? Because um, you know, look, Stefanski's offense is rooted in the Shanahan, you know, Kubiak system. He loves heavy personnel. He loves tight ends. Um, but they also want to open things up for Deshaun Watson. That's not Deshaun Watson's offense. So does Ken Dorsey's offense lean a little more to like 11 personnel, kind of a more open scheme? What, what does it look like? I think it's it, it, there's variations of it. Like at times it's been different things, especially when he was here with, with um, Dable. They ran a lot of 10. Like if you remember during the Cole Beasley era, um, they didn't have like, you know, Dawson Knox was was still kind of developing, but now they kind of shifted since they drafted Dalton Kincaid and they ran a ton of 12, um, which didn't actually work at the beginning of the season. And I think that was one of the reasons, you know, in the end that might have did him in in Buffalo is that the the pivot to 12 just didn't work the way that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott envisioned when they drafted Kincaid. Um, but the one thing they do lean on a lot in this scheme is that jumbo package where they bring in an extra offensive lineman. Uh, last year, uh, it's escaping me who they had playing that role. Oh, uh, Bobby Hart. He did it for a little while. And then this past year, it was David Edwards, who was a Super Bowl uh, caliber guard for the Rams a couple of years ago, came in on a one-year deal, and he basically became their sixth offensive lineman out there. And they 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 ran their passing game out of that set. Um, you're going to see a lot of creativity. I think one of the things that I thought was lacking for Dorsey was the use of motion, which I thought that Dable – implemented so much um we didn't see as much of that um their best offensive alignment this season was 11 um and i think towards when when brady took over they really leaned into okay we're going to pivot away a little bit from 12 and just get dalton and dawson in at separate times so you know dalton kincaid kind of overtook him in terms of snaps um and they just utilize a fresh tight end so that's something that maybe ken dorsey could even see okay that's the success that happened after I left. Maybe I can bring some of that um, to David Njoku in this offense for for Cleveland. But it's it's you know it's never been a run heavy, super successful running offense. And I don't know the situation with Nick Chubb and and coming back from that. But that's one, been one of the downfalls of these offenses over the last couple of years. And what I think eventually led to Ken Dorsey's um, removal was the fact that they never could consistently run the ball. Um, they spent some draft capital. They brought in different players, veterans, but it's never been a consistent part of their offense. Part of that is because Josh Allen is, you know, quasi running back at times. Yeah. I was looking at some of the, uh, some of the, just the basic stats, like the one year they, I think it was 2022, Buffalo was right behind Cleveland in rushing yards per game. Mm -hmm. And then you look and about 50 yards per game of that is Josh Allen running. (laughs) So it wasn't exactly turning and handing the football off. So speaking of Josh Allen, right. One of the things that we've discussed on this podcast is Ken Dorsey has worked with Cam Newton. He's worked with Josh Allen, right? Big mobile quarterbacks. Deshaun is built a little bit differently and obviously coming off the shoulder surgery, they don't want him taking the hits that a Josh Allen or a Cam Newton would take, but he's still a, a guy who can run and do things with his legs. How much credit does Ken Dorsey get in your mind for Josh Allen's development? First as his quarterback's coach. And then of course, as his OC. A lot. And I think the lessons learned from Cam, like that was almost like, that was a perfect player for player comp, like with the way that they play. Like Deshaun can run and he's been very successful running over the course of his career, but he, he does it a little bit differently. And that's not to say that that what he learned from working with Cam and Josh won't 
help Deshaun Watson. I just think it's a little bit different. But I, I think just the fact that he played the position, he has, you know, um, some skins on the wall is the phrase they always like to use uh, in the building. You know, he takes that and brings it to the way that he operates the offense. And not only that, provides extra layers for the quarterback to see the game through the same eyes that have seen the game. You know, and, and I think that that's helped him a lot, just like connecting with his guys. So I think that'll help. I mean, obviously, I th- it seems like from the outside looking in, Deshaun might need that, might need a new voice, might need somebody like, okay, there's been some proven success. Maybe I have to change my game a little bit, maybe do some different things. Um, I think Ken has a really good demeanor about him that could help in that environment. And he's got a lot of exciting ideas. I mean, Dable credited him a lot for how that offense evolved over the years when he left or when he was fired, you know, Josh Allen came out, took the responsibility and said, and basically said that I wouldn't be the quarterback that I am today without Ken Dorsey. So there's inside the building. That was a really hard decision. It wasn't one where it was a decision made for a team that the expectation was to win a Super Bowl, And they were sitting at a spot outside of the playoffs after 12 games. But I think if you pulled everybody in that building, Everybody probably would have said they wish Ken Dorsey was still there. I don't think he was fired because he was bad at his job. It was something had to happen. Something had to change. Yeah. And I I was going to ask you about that. So obviously, you know, you get to hear from Ken Dorsey every week. You get to hear players talk about him. You get to, you know, you're obviously around him and and hearing people talk about him. So it, it sounds like what you're saying is people hadn't sat, people in the building hadn't necessarily soured on Ken Dorsey. Like you said, no, it's just all. sort of time for something different. Yeah, and it, and it's cool that you bring that up because I just did a podcast this morning uh, where we're starting to look at the cap situation. And one of the names, the big names for the Bills this offseason is free agent wide receiver Gabe Davis. And, you know, when when everything happened with Dorsey, you know, obviously Allen was very emotional. But I'd argue that Gabe Davis was even more emotional. He got really close with Ken Dorsey. And he's somebody that a polarizing guy and that he's never he's had these big moments right everybody remembers the four touchdown game against the Chiefs but it's been up and down up and down the last two years as he's been the primary number two wide receiver I think he's going to go out and and probably get a deal that's too rich for the bill on the bills end but something that you know might fit in under with some with another team and I think Cleveland makes a lot of sense and the way that Davis talked about Dorsey when he left. I think he'd really embrace reconnecting with him in a world where he doesn't have to play second and third fiddle to somebody else. Now I know Njoku's there and I know, you know, whatever's going to happen with Amari Cooper. And I don't know what the money will look like, but if he ends up on the roster as like their wide receiver too, or whatever it ends up looking like, he's so versatile. And I think that connection with you know, bring, they're going to try to probably bring in somebody that has been, that has worked with Ken and maybe even Dable before that. Um, and, and to me, Davis would be the the premier guy. I just don't think the bills can pay him. That's interesting. A name, certainly the Browns, Browns, Browns need another receiver um, behind Amari Cooper and they, they need to do something at that position. So that's certainly an, an interesting name to kind of keep an eye on moving forward. So just, you know, the Browns kind of went through this a little bit too with Alex Van Pelt, who was here for four years and it was just time to move on. And that's why Ken Dorsey is here for, you know, when you heard that the Browns were hiring Dorsey and obviously, you know, I don't know how closely, you know, this roster, you mentioned a few names already, but when you heard the Browns were hiring Dorsey, it was a little bit of a surprise to a lot of us, but I, I guess, what did you think of the fit? Did you think this was of all the places he could have landed? 
did, did you think this was a good spot for him? You know, I think it was the more I thought about, I didn't think much of it. Like at the time, like I knew he was going to get a job. Like he's had a lot of success here and it, the success that he had when he was a hot offensive coordinator name, when he was the quarterback's coach. I mean, people were interviewing him for jobs. I think he interviewed with the, the chargers a couple of years ago um, and maybe another team as well. So I knew he was going to get a job. Um, the Cleveland fit was interesting at first because I thought, okay, it's a, a run heavy team with a quarterback that's kind of struggled. Um, I didn't know if it was necessarily a fit cause that wasn't the strength, but I'm wondering if, you have that part of it figured out. Stefanski has been there as you've had all this success in the run game and bringing in a new vision for what the passing game could be. Maybe that's the marriage of it that Stefanski saw. I don't know if he's talked about the hire yet. Um, it's a funny thing about these these coordinator hires. Like I, I reached out to the Bills and I wanted to talk to Bobby Babbitt, who is actually really good with the media and Bills fans are really excited about the hire uh, promotion. And they're like, yeah, we're going to get to that down the road. And it's like, I, I don't think we talked to Dorsey after he was hired until like May which was crazy at the time. But anyway, um, no, I, I think the more I've, I've sat with it, the more I've thought, okay, you're not only getting an offensive coordinator, and I don't know what the situation is with whether or not he's going to call plays or not. Um, I think it was hot and cold with how he did uh, here. Some games it was big, some good, some days it wasn't. But the thing that I think you get with Dorsey more than anything is developing players and developing. Like I thought Mitch Trubisky, even when he came into the game under Dorsey, uh, I thought looked as composed as he's ever looked in any game. I've seen him with Pittsburgh. I think it doesn't look anything like he looked even preseason games with the Bills. So I think you're getting a really good player developer. And then, you know, the offensive scheme stuff is a second part. And I think that like I mentioned at the top, I think it's a good marriage between him and Stefanski. Yeah, I do, I do want to squeeze in one more here that since you mentioned play calling and we haven't talked to Kevin yet. We have obviously haven't talked to Dorsey yet either. You're right. Sometimes it's weird, the, t- the timing on these things. Uh, but we, we don't know if Kevin's going to give up play calling to uh, to Ken Dorsey or not. But you mentioned the, the play. I always feel like criticizing play calling is sort of the low hanging fruit sometimes. It's, right. and, and that not to say that it's not fair to do, but. It's always something if you're looking to nitpick things, you can do that. But as a play caller, just over the course of his time, how how did you think he handled it? I mean, he there was a lot of moments where you were wishing for more. I think it's, you know, on the job training, there was a lot of periods where, you know, I thought he was creative at times. I thought that he tried to evolve a scheme that he learned in three years and took over. Um, but at times, I don't know if he was maybe aggressive enough. I don't know. Like one big complaint I had with him was like the lack of play action this early in the season. Like it was the numbers when Josh Allen would throw out a play action were just unbelievable and they just weren't doing it enough. And I don't know if it was a theory that if you do it too much, that you're going to start to see the success rate drop, but maybe like run it until the success rate drops and then like figure that out after the fact. Uh, there wasn't enough of that. I, I didn't think they were using motion enough this season, which, you know, they had to create some different mismatches. And I thought Brady made some really good key adjustments. Like, you know, even like flipping the running back to the other side of the quarterback pre-snap, like was doing that a lot more after Dorsey left. Um, I think that they were trying, it's hard to evaluate this season because they had all of last year and the numbers in 11 and 10 were really good. And then they they move wholeheartedly into 12, which if you remember Cam Newton back in Carolina, 
at the early stages, and I don't know if Dorsey was there yet, he had Shockey and Greg Olson. And that's the model that Brandon Bean has been chasing. It's like, I get wanting to replicate things, but it wasn't necessarily the perfect fit or that they never figured out a way to make it fit. So I think that to me is, you know, from a play calling perspective, the fact that they invested so much into the theory change to 12 and not having it succeed the way they did, the, the way that it didn't, I think that's kind of a knock on Dorsey. But I also think he probably learned a lot of lessons in that that he'll take to Cleveland with how to institute a new style of offense or a new personnel package and how to maybe tinker with things a little bit more urgently week to week. Because that's something that I think it was just like this lull of six weeks where 12 was just like blah. All right. That is uh, Matt Perino, uh, host of the Shout podcast, also covers the bills for our sister site, uh, Syracuse.com. Matt, I'm going to say it again. I was just bummed I didn't get wing nuts. This, I know, I was, man. We were gonna we were gonna blow it out for the AFC title game. <laughs> Would have had you guys out if you could make it. We we'll do a little podcast, eat some wings, drink some beers. Listen, we'll get you up here though. One of these years, we'll get you up here. We'll do wing nuts the right way. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, like there was a chance we were going to go to Baltimore, which is one of my favorite road cities, and then follow yes. that up with a trip to Buffalo for wing nuts. It would have it would have been great, but. Uh... I guess it wasn't meant to be, uh, but I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, you do a great job, obviously, covering the Bills. Tell everybody where they can find you real quick. Yeah, I'm over on X or Twitter, whatever we're calling it these days, at Matt Perino, uh, P-A-R-R-I-N-O. Everything funnels through there. Uh, the Shout Bills podcast um, is on all of your platforms, including YouTube. All right. Thanks a lot, Matt. It was good talking to you. You too, buddy. Thanks again to Matt Perino for joining us to give us the inside scoop on what went down with Ken Dorsey in Buffalo and what he brings to the Browns. Thanks to Lance Reisland for watching all that tape and telling us about Ken Dorsey's scheme. If you're not following us on Instagram, close this app. Go to Instagram. Search Orange Brown Talk. Hit that follow button. If you're not following us on YouTube, go to the YouTube app. Search Cleveland Browns on Cleveland.com and hit that subscribe button. If you're not subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Go search Orange and Brown Talk, hit that subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. And, of course, if you're not a Football Insider subscriber, go to cleveland.com slash browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page to get info on that and get yourself signed up. Thanks to Lance. Thanks to Matt. For Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks to all of you for listening.